On Tuesday, May 12th, the Rochester City Council approved legislation that effective immediately removed THC as a chemical tested for during pre-employment drug screenings. Here to discuss this new legislation is Mitch Gruber, Rochester City Council member and Chief Strategy Officer at Foodlink, the regional food bank. He holds a PhD in history from the University of Rochester, where he studied the history of inequities in food access in urban America. He lives with his family in the Susan B. Anthony neighborhood in Rochester's Southwest. Councilman Gruber, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. So back in January, Rochester City newspaper produced a story about a woman named Jasmine Regler who was barred from working for the city for one year because she tested positive for THC. Will you discuss this, sor- this story and to what effect it, it led to passing this new legislation? Absolutely. Um, right around in January, uh, city council had two new members join. One of the members was Mary Lupian, who um, has been, uh, you know, very very vocal about her support um, for the for for legalization um, and for measures like the one taken. And she uh, had offered her legislative aid position to uh, Miss Regler. Every every city council person gets um, one legislative aid. So uh, apparently Ms. Regler um, had gone in for her typical kind of pre-employment paperwork, I guess um, wasn't sure whether there was or was not a drug screen. And the rest is exactly what you said, Steve. And, and you know, uh, I give a lot of credit to Councilmember Lupian, who was very new on the job. She immediately raised this as a concern. And uh, Jasmine and a whole bunch of other folks immediately raised their concern with this because, as you said, not only... Uh, was Jasmine not given the position, but on top of that, she was uh, uh, told that she was barred from employment for a year. So this is something that really, um, frankly, I'll be honest with you, in my two years of counsel prior to this, I had not heard of anyone. um, No one told me that this is what had happened. And, you know, as as a new city council person, um, there's so many different ways to get uh, acquainted to the city. This is not one of the things that had come to my attention. So oftentimes this is what happens in, in, in policymaking. Uh, Ms. Regler and the new council member Lupian uh, made it very clear this was something they wanted to work on. And uh, credit due to uh, President Loretta Scott, who uh, pushed this with the mayor and the administration and eventually led to the bill that we're talking about today. I'm thrilled because as you know, Steve, um, since the moment I was elected onto city council, I've been, I made it very clear that our city needs to be preparing and ready for the full legalization of marijuana. It's coming. It's something that's going to have a real impact on our city. And so taking steps like the one um, here of not pre-screening people for THC for most positions, I think is a really wise step. Yeah, I think so too. And we're really lucky in Rochester to have such a supportive city council. You know, my days back in normal when we, you know, were working together about a year ago when you when you guys signed that signed that letter in support for legislation and everything normal was doing. And I actually the first time I met Councilwoman Lupian was on a bus to Albany for a lobby day for legalization. So we're really lucky that we uh, seem to have a, a a stacked house when it comes to support. Um, but prior to passing of this legislation, what were the employment rules around THC testing in Rochester? Yeah, city jobs, um, everyone everyone got screened. Um, and uh, on top of that, they I, I'm forgetting now off the top of my head if it was the, I think it was the hair screen, which I think you, you probably have a little bit more um, expertise on this subject than I do, Steve. But my, my belief is that the 
the hair test, um, it stays in your, it, it tests a longer period of time backwards. Yep. Um, so I think that that was another major concern is that there's not really, it's not really an apples to apples um, thing when you look at the way THC is screened versus the way that other drugs are screened. And especially, you know, this is the argument that we made and that I know President Scott was making as well, you know, especially given that we all as a city signed on, as a city council signed on to that letter that you're talking about, we're all um, ready for the legalization of marijuana. I know we'll talk at length today and if not, you know, more in the future about um, some of our preconditions as a council for making sure that legalization is done wisely. But we, you know, in, in terms of principle and philosophy and ethos, we recognize that this is coming. And so therefore we don't want to have a, you know, we don't want to prevent people from being able to work for the city simply because um, they might uh, indulge once in a while. Yeah, especially because, like you said, what we know about cannabis is that it stays in your, your bloodstream and your hair for a long, you know, a long time. So, you know, imagine a month goes by, you know, you smoke a joint and then a month goes by and then you get drug tested and you fail a drug test and you can't get a job where like alcohol is in, you know, in and out of your system in just a couple hours, a day or two. So uh, exactly. Yeah. So, so there, there's there's real inequities there. And again, I don't think we would have gotten to this point if it wasn't for the fact that we're also sitting on the precipice of being able to legalize marijuana. And I think you and I are both confident, Steve, that if not for COVID, um, we probably would have seen a pass, would, would have seen a legalized this year. Um, obviously, that's not happening right now. Um, I think the state has taken it off the plate for this year, but it is coming. So we can't, on the one hand, be ready for it to, to come. And on the other hand, um, screen people for 90 days back of whether or not they you know, smoked a joint and then bar them from employment for a year if, in fact, they did. Yeah, it's like we have medical marijuana companies literally selling high THC medical marijuana products in our in our city. We, you know, the the New York State government has, you know, to some all three branches have said we're going to legalize in some capacity. It just feels odd to you know bar people from from uh, from you know getting a job in city government because of, of cannabis. It's just old policy, and I'm glad that you know we moved past that. So yeah, and I'll say on an aside, I think sometimes you know I've noticed in my in my two years of being in government, and I you know one of the beauties of, of city council, I think it is a beautiful thing that we're all part-time. You know, I have a, I, as, as you mentioned in the bio, I have a full-time job at Foodland. This is, this is part-time, and I think there's a lot of merit to that, but one of the downsides to it is that we don't get an opportunity to, to do deep dives into every single piece of the charter in the city code. But what you'll find often is that there's lots of things that just require regular um, updating. And I think this is an example that another example that, that I just re, re, very recently, I, I uh, helped to rewrite the city code uh, related to bicycling, which hadn't been um, re, re-examined since the 1950s or 60s. Oh, wow. And there were some really, really weird things in there, like um, for for example, a child under the age of 12 wasn't allowed to ride a bike by, by his or herself. You know, and that yeah. maybe that made sense in the 1960s for whatever reason, but that's certainly not the environment that we want to, to have today. So it just, you know, every once in a while, we need to go back and look at these things. And it's cases like uh, like Miss Regler's that really are the things, are the catalyst for doing that reassessment. 
And, and it's great to think how fast it moved, right? You know, from, from January to now, especially kind of in the midst of this whole pandemic, really moved quite fast. You know, that's a, it's pretty big policy change for something that's been, you know, uh, illegal and in prohibitionized for the last 80 years. So I, uh, how'd, you, how'd you guys, you know, uh, manage to, to push this through at, at the speed that you did? I think it was really about the, the, how reasonable it was. Yeah. Again, we had already done a lot of the legwork. You know, when, when you and the folks from Normal had approached me about the, the letter of support last year, uh, that was last year, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. Early last yeah, year? Yeah, I think it was last year. When you approached me with it, you know, that, that took a little bit of massaging to make sure that everybody on council agreed and did, in fact, want to see legalization um, occur with specific conditions in mind. Once we've, once we'd signed that and everyone's on everyone other than the brand new members are on record as saying, yeah, we're ready for this to happen. It's not, uh, it's not much of a stretch to say, okay, well we better stop doing this type of testing and having the archaic measure of barring them from employment for a year. And so, you know, being that everyone was kind of on board and the legwork had been done at that point, it doesn't take a long time to write a piece of legislation and make it happen. Yeah, I remember when we had that that meeting with the whole council, just being able to like, you know, in Albany, we were, we're rushing through these meetings 10, 15 minutes at a time. And you're trying to convey this huge idea. And like a lot of the time change people's ideologies and thoughts around cannabis in a 15 minute meeting. You know, when we got to actually sit down and have a productive conversation at length, what came out of it was you know, a brand new cannabis policy in Rochester, which ended up actually getting a lot of national attention. So, you know, I really appreciate being able to actually sit down, have a productive conversation, work the kinks out because magic happens when you do. So it's uh, it's very exciting to see where Rochester's heading, especially with cannabis being on the brink of, of legalizing. Uh, but let's let's really kind of break down this new legislation. Can you kind of explain the new legislation and what it means for Rochester residents? Sure. So um, there's obviously certain, there's still certain classes of employees that will be screened. And I think that that is, you know, that may not uh, please everyone, but I think there's some real logic to it. And I'll say in full candor, there are certain jobs at Foodlink where I'm an executive owner, where we, where we have to, despite how badly we may or may not want to do something. Some things, this is, this is how government, you know, the, the layers of government sometimes can be complicated. But there are certain jobs, like, for example, um, folks who are using any Department of Transportation mm -hmm. vehicles, right? So, so refuse, people who work in refuse, um, certainly people who are uh, driving fire trucks, police, policemen uh, who are driving cars and things like that. Those folks are still going to be screened because, uh, mostly because of the fact that there's additional regulatory bodies like the Department of Transportation, for mm -hmm. example. Sometimes it's, it's simply because of the union contracts, but for a lot of folks, uh, people who have clerical jobs, um, we as a city are no longer going to be testing uh, for THC for those folks. Yeah, I, th I think we're the, once we get to a point where we can kind of test uh, potency, not potency. Like if somebody's high or have used recently, then that'll probably loosen up because you know you're right. If if you're driving commercial, if you're if you're handling heavily machinery, you shouldn't be under the influence of everything. But right now, we don't really have any testing mechanism that can quite say, "Hey, this person might be high right now," compared to three days ago when he smoked a bowl or something like that. So I think that's where we'll kind of have to put on our entrepreneurial hats um, and we'll have to start working with the police department to kind of figure out. If 
is there a technology out there where we can kind of test acute uh, effects if people are, are high right now compared to, you know, a week ago. So, um, yeah, I think, I think that's exactly right. And, and the fact is that right now for better or for worse, we, you know, I, I always want to be in a situation where we can treat every single employee the same. That's true of whether I'm at Foodlink or whether I'm at city hall. But the reality is that there are some jobs um, clerical jobs, jobs like the, the city council legislative aid that, you know, kind of brought this to the forefront. There's some jobs where there, there is no risk, um, having someone who, uh, may or may not, uh, indulge, but there are other jobs where there is real risk. So, um, that's, that's precisely what's going to happen. That's, so that's the kind of breakdown of who is or is not going to be impacted by this. And I, I do want to state, because I think it's really important, a lot of this was modeled directly off of what uh, New York City did. Mm-hmm. New York City was one of the first places, uh, certainly the first place in New York State, to stop testing for THC. And they, they voted on it as a council last year. I think, it went in, I think it was implemented this year. And I, I just looked it up quickly. Even their law, it makes exceptions for certain positions, uh, police, emergency responders, um, jobs requiring security clearance, people who supervise or care for children. Um, those are yeah. positions that even they banned. And New York City's law went way further than ours because if I recall, and Steve, I'm not sure if you if you uh, know this better than I do, but I recall that New York City not only banned it for their for jobs within City Hall, but also it was something that they stopped New York City employers from doing on the private sector as well. You know, I'm honestly not really sure. Um, I can definitely look into it and probably in the, in the description of the podcast, provide a little bit of clarity, but I'm sorry, I'm, I, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not really sure. No, no worries. I'm actually, I'm looking it up right now and, okay. and it's true. So a new, a, a New York city banned employers, labor organizations and employment agencies from testing job applicants for marijuana or THC. And it was only again, the, all the different categories that I read off before, plus a couple more are are exempt from that but their law went even further than the one we passed here in rochester because it also goes into the private sector and yet still there there were in fact exempted uh categories of employee and that's that's exactly how it is right here in city hall as of this month yeah that's I never thought about that. How could you, like, is there a legislation, like, could you guys have written into the bill something that would would bar the private sector? Is that just something that the private sector has to do themselves? No, I think there's there's certainly, I mean, that's, there. it is a regulatory lever that the city, that the, that cities do have. I think that the, you know, frankly, the difference between New York City and Rochester and this, and this situation and many others is that, you know, Rochester, we're doing everything that we can to try to attract employers. Whereas, you know, New York City, I don't think has the same uh, jobs deficit that we have. So it's hard for us to take the step of doing both those things at once, doing it within City Hall and doing it on the private side. But I think this is the right first step. And I hope that as we continue to uh, grow as a city and we continue to know to be the city that you and I both know that we're going to be, Stephen. We're going to see growth in Rochester for a lot of reasons, including, by the way, I believe the the nascent uh, marijuana industry. And as that starts to happen, we might be able to actually uh, use some leverage in the private sector as well. Yeah, I just think that I don't. I think a lot of people don't quite realize, and I, I'm. I, 
I truly believe that it'll, we need, you know, there's an, we're kind of, Rochester's kind of on the cusp of really having a boom, right? We have the infrastructure, we have the old industrial infrastructure, we have the knowledge, we have the academics, we have the agriculture. I mean, hell, Finger Lakes region is one of the best agricultural places on the, in the country, probably in the world, right? We're primed to do so well for cannabis. So I think once people start to realize like what this industry brings, you know, and it's, you know, I think people need to stop looking at it so much like a drug and look more like, like a, a division of agriculture, right? A plant, that's what it is. And all the different jobs and all the different opportunities and the ancillary businesses and the ag, you know the regenerative agriculture and organic farming practices that are being applied to the industry. We, we I firmly believe that New York and Rochester in particular, Western New York and the Finger Lakes region is going to be the beating heart of the cannabis industry. I cannot wait till this plant is legalized here. Yeah, I think it's going to be an absolute game changer. I think you're you are correct that one of the if not the greatest assets that we have as a as a city is water. And there, you know, there's a lot of industries that simply don't exist without water, which is why um, you know, the the Great Lakes and the Rust Belt have been able to maintain some level of, of manufacturing and, and industry despite all the different forces working against them over the last you know, 40, 50 years as the landscape of business has changed. But we are getting to a point where things like our access to water are going to separate us from so many other communities. And I think that the, that the marijuana industry is a huge, huge opportunity for us. No doubt. And I, I think, you know, we're the cannabis industry, you know, the, a lot of the people that I've encountered in this industry are very environmentally conscious and realize, you know, when you look at Colorado, who's doing an excellent job with the industry, I really think they've really set the model for what the, you know, a good cannabis industry and economy looks like. 10% of Colorado's electricity goes to indoor cultivation and Boulder alone is 13%. So I think in New York has a really good opportunity to do really well, but we also have to factor in that, you know, you could produce in the, the best cannabis in the entire world and the best products and generating all this revenue and doing all this great, you know, social equity stuff, but it, we can't do it at the cost of the environment. And I think that we're very environmentally conscious. You know, we have the Cornell uh, Agricultural School, you know, not too far from here. So yeah, I'm just, I'm super excited about it. I think our city is really going to benefit. I, uh, at the Simon School, I think it was last year, or, uh, I think it was early last year, I, I went for a talk and listened to a professor of, uh, of economics, his name is Jonathan Gruber, and he wrote uh, Jumpstarting America. And essentially what it does was this, uh, uh, I guess not a feasibility study, but like an economic city, a, a study of all the big, small, yeah, non-metro. The model. Yeah, right? And it was like, it took 100, exactly. yeah. 100 cities and all these different metrics and essentially calculated like what city was poised to be like the next next boom, right? Rochester was number one. And I think for a long time, people thought it was going to be photonics. And there's a chance it's just been slow growing. But I think cannabis is exactly the gas that we need to, 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 really, to really boom again like we used to. Well, I, I think it's a huge, it's a huge opportunity. And we have, we certainly have the farm infrastructure around here. You know, my other job, I spent a lot of time working with farmers and we know that there's um there's definitely a lot of the infrastructure necessary for a good solid agricultural sector and to your point we need to be thinking not not just i mean this is one of the problems with with when people start talking about marijuana and cannabis is that i think people immediately go to the kind of recreational side of it we need to be talking about industrial hemp as well i mean hemp has just huge possibilities for our economy 
in so many different ways. And it's just really a matter of starting to put some of that stuff together and let, making sure that government is, is part of the solution on that, not part of the problem. Yeah, if we uh, people, you know, always tend to look at the cannabinoids and the consumables, THCs and CBDs. It's like this is where the industry is going. But you're right, absolute hemp, like fiber and grain, like fiber in particular is going to replace could can and will will replace like bioplastics, all these other, you know, these hugely costly and uh, environmentally damaging resources. Hemp is a feasible replacement, and like not only does it, you know, can you make it into things like pl- uh, 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 plastic or bioplastics or hempcrete or building materials, but because, you know, you know, I've ever seen a hemp stalk, it can grow like 13, 14 feet in just a couple months. And because it does that, it pulls out and cleans the soil and like pulls heavy metals out of the, uh, out of the soil. So it like rehabilitates the earth while providing resources to kind of replace these other harmful resources that we're using that are damaging the planet. So, you know, coupled with the, the, the legal marijuana industry, I mean, the, the, the opportunity is really, it's, it's truly endless. It is. Um, so outside of uh, the new legislation that you guys just passed, are there any other conversations currently being had in, cin- uh, in city council regarding cannabis policy? Um, n- not, not separate from what's being talked about at the state level, um, which I think is really the next place to all this. I, I, like, I, like I said before, I think there is an opportunity to think through how to um, how to bring a little bit of, of regulation to the private sector in the same way that New York City did, but I, I don't think that w- that works here in Rochester. I don't think I don't think it works right now in a in a place and a that we're just kind of I'm not going to say desperate because we're not. As we just said, the the I, I think we have the trajectory right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have progress and momentum on our side, but we are not in a place to be putting up any additional barriers or hurdles for businesses. So that I think that would be the kind of next logical place at some point. But first, I think in order to get there, we need to have the bigger conversation at the state level about, um, about legalization. And as you know, there's, there's a lot of back and forth um, at the state level about the you know, different bills. And you'll have to forgive me about not being able to to pinpoint the different names because they had long names and acronyms. But basically what we as a city are advocating for, and I know that Normal um, agreed with this too, is ultimately we want to see the bill passed that would ensure that uh, a good chunk of the revenues that come back from uh, the industry would in fact go directly to uh, supporting the populations that were most harmed by the war on drugs over the last 20 years, the majority minority cities like Rochester Mm -hmm. and Utica and Binghamton and Buffalo places that really uh, need some help have really high poverty rates, have high levels of incarceration. Mm -hmm. Uh, We need to make sure that the revenues from legalized marijuana go into those communities. And that is in some ways what I think held the bill up last year. Yeah, I think I I think that the issue is is that 
uh, the MRTA wanted 50% tax revenue uh, allocated to community reinvestment. And the governor, the executive uh, branch, essentially thought that was too much. So we're hoping that we can meet somewhere in the middle. Like Illinois' program, I think it's called like the R3 program, they allocate 25% of tax revenues into essentially a community reinvestment fund. Um, and I just, there was just an article from Marijuana Moment that was released today that in this year or last year or so far that they've raised, I believe the number, excuse me, it's right around 30 million, maybe $31.9 million essentially went to this fund to help uh, social equity ac- applicants, all these, you know, this c- community reinvestment, like actually using the revenues the way we're supposed to is to help these folks and to help these help these disadvantaged communities. And I, it needs to be a priority in the legislation. I just hope that it we don't end up, you know, fighting over it so much that we can end up getting a bill passed because no bill means, you know, there, there's no equity in the industry. There's no legal industry. So I, I'm confident and I actually, uh, uh, I have a conver- uh, an interview with Diane Savino out of uh, the center out of Staten Island on Thursday. Uh, and that's a question that I'm going to ask her is where are we and what are the talking points and what is, what did tax allocations look like? What does social equity look like now? Because the governor wants it. We need it. We're in a massive budget deficit. I'm not saying cannabis is going to be the silver bullet that fixes it, but it could definitely help. You know, we need all the help that we can get. So I think we're moving in the right direction, but I think that like, like you said, you know, trying to figure out what exactly does social equity look like in a New York state cannabis bill? What does, you know, the municipality opt-outs look like? Who's going to be able to opt out? Are they going to have access to the tax revenue if they opt out? No. And tax allocation, do 50%, probably the idea is great and I love it, but it's probably unreasonable. We'll probably wind up in like the 10 to 25% range. But I I think we're at the point where everybody's on board and we want to get this passed and let's just hope that they can actually get it over the finish line because sick of waiting. (laughs) Yeah, I I think those are all good points. And it's, it definitely ends up becoming a bit of a negotiation. You know, I'm I'm a little bit of a, of a novice and a rookie when it comes to politics, but I do think that the biggest concern is, you know, New York State. Illinois is probably an interesting uh, corollary because I'm sure in Illinois, uh, most of the communities are just probably feel like they're under the shadow of Chicago mm-hmm. and that Chicago just gets all, all the real funding from state government. I think in New York, it is certainly exacerbated, though. New York, uh, so much of New York's revenues and dollars come from New York City and stay in New York City. It's certainly the biggest kind of uh, skewed budget in that regard. So I I think that there's a real concern that um, we and cities like Rochester and Buffalo and Syracuse that really need this type of um, uh, not, not just the revenues, but need programs like, like the legalization to impact us, not just on the revenue side, but on the job creation and employment mm-hmm. side, yeah. we cannot, we cannot allow this moment to pass us by. You know, I believe, and I've said this for a long time to you and others, I've even met with a couple people about this since we'll have to catch up offline about it at some point, Steve, but I, I really like to see us build a, uh, some incubators Absolutely. for marijuana businesses and specifically thinking through, um, how we, how we do that in a way that is, uh, really mindful of so many of the folks in our community whose careers have been curtailed by fairly archaic, drug laws and how can we make sure that those folks previously incarcerated folks 
are, are able to benefit from this new part of the economy. If we can't figure that out, then we failed this moment. So we cannot allow the, the need for, for a budget, you know, cash grab. We cannot allow for that to, to obscure from the fact that we need for this to really be about uh, social justice and equity. Absolutely. And you made it, you hit the nail on the head with the incubators. And I don't know if you've ever had a chance to talk with Zach Sarkis from New York Hemp Lab, but they're a 501c3 uh, incubator. And that's really what their goal is. They're in the hemp industry now, but my guests will transition into all things cannabis uh, when it gets here. But, you know, I, I've been in a kind of, I'm kind of in, a, in an interesting position where I'm a cannabis consumer, I'm an activist, and I'm also a business owner. And, you know, so I've kind of seen it from all angles. And as a business owner, I'll tell you this right now. I've been, I'm lucky and I'm privileged and I've had access to things that most people wouldn't have access to, but this industry is incredibly difficult to navigate. The regulatory structure is a nightmare. I mean, trying to even get access to things like merchant services or credit card processing or getting a checking account. Like if you don't have some sort of mentorship or some sort of advisorship or incubator, you can give out all the, you know, scholarships and grants and stuff that you want, but you're setting these folks up for failure if you don't actually help them walk through it. So you're you're absolutely right. What we need is education. What we need is incubation. We need to make sure that these folks who've, whose lives have been in communities have been disproportionately impacted by the war on drugs, not only get a seat at the table, but actually get a fair opportunity to compete in this industry, to play in the sandbox, because there's room for everybody. But we have to acknowledge the folks who, you know, the, the communities of color who've been disproportionately impacted. There's no doubt. Yeah. And once and once legalization here, there's going to be so many different layers and pieces to this new part of the economy. You know, there's going to be folks who are doing the growing and who are doing the drying and who are doing the curing mm -hmm. and who are doing the packaging. And there's going to be a lot of different opportunities. And we need to have smart incubators and smart mentors who are uh, figuring out how to train folks. And I think there's gonna be some really uncomfortable conversations because you know, there is obviously the science. I, I, don't wanna, I don't wanna minimize the fact that there is the science to the fact that we really don't want our youth um, smoking. We really don't want our youth being mm -hmm. engaged in the industry. That being said, we also wanna create pipelines from our high schools into really robust uh, employment sectors. And so those are the conversations that I'm excited to have at some point um, to do it in a thoughtful and mindful way. We don't need to have people, uh, we, not everybody who's involved in the sector, in the economy, is going to be like a, like a burnout stoner, yeah, right? That's no. like a really weird myth and, and thought that people have. And we need to break that. And one of the ways you do that is by having good, thoughtful incubators that can help make that happen. And I think those will become a lot more prevalent when, you know, the, the University of Rochester and Cornell and Simon School and RIT, these big academic titans can actually start to create curriculums and programs around cannabis because the problem right now is because a lot of them are federally funded, if you start teaching cannabis, they're at risk at losing their federal funding. So I'm sure, you know, the U of R is dying to put in, you know, to start teaching about the endocannabinoid system or RITs want to teach us about, you know, indoor cannabis cultivation, all this cool stuff, but you, you're at risk of your federal funding, which, you know, it could be catastrophic. So I'm assuming, or I don't know what, what would have to happen from a regulatory perspective for them to, you know, to be to have access to start being able to participate. But once we have, you know, the universities participating and you have the incubators in place with all the mentors and all the big players and, and you know, the brains of the industry, big things are going to happen for our area. Really big things. I'm really excited about it. 
Yeah, it's it's just going to be a, it's going to be a mindset uh, shift. It's going to be a paradigm shift. And again, back to take us full circle, I think in part that is why the legislation that we passed this last month is important because it begins to be a kind of culture shift around the way we talk about these things locally. So I think it's a step in the right direction. Um, we certainly have a lot more to do, but I really believe that there's not a whole lot that we can do until the state moves. Yeah, we're uh, we're in a really unique place, uh, a really good place being in Rochester. We have a really support policy, really supportive policymakers, educated policymakers, people that get it, people that are, you know want to see Rochester thrive. I'm so thankful that you're part of City Council and Councilman looping in as part of City Council. We just have so many great assets in our corner, uh, and I'm really excited to keep working with you guys. And hopefully, we can see legalization soon and watch all this uh, come to fruition. Yeah, I'm I'm with you, and and if there, if I can ever come back and uh, and talk again, especially when there's some some traction in Albany, and I have some things to share, I'd be more than happy to. Absolutely, I'm just a phone call away. I really appreciate you coming on the show, and I uh, look forward to the next time we talk. Sounds good. Have a good one. All right, you too, Mitch. Take care. That was Councilman Mitch Gruber from Rochester City Council. We'll see you all next week.